Growing Pains, i.e. Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices. Hi, I'm Irene Feehan and welcome to Growing Pains, the Irish Examiner's parenting podcast series in association with Safe Food. With me today is child psychotherapist Dr Joanna Fortune, who writes a column for our IE Parenting section out every Tuesday and online. Joanna is the author of the 15-minute parenting books and she also hosts a 15-minute parenting podcast series. For the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about managing distress. Joanna, you're welcome to our studio. Thank you, Irene. Now, we've all been there, an upset child who is finding it difficult to cope and doesn't know what to do or what to say. So how can you respond to that situation? I think like we've said before, when we had our conversation about what is playful parenting, it so often starts with what's happening within me when I have a distressed child in front of me, because it is distressing. None of us stay super calm in the face of our own child having a huge moment, whatever that is, if they're crying or if they're overtly very angry or having a tantrum. That activates us. It has to, you know, so sometimes, you know, and in in my work, I talk a lot with parents who talk about how distressing it is for them. And if we are distressed ourselves, it's very hard to co-regulate a distressed child, isn't it? So I'm going to say it starts with ourselves. It starts with just pausing and saying, what's happening right now? What am I struggling with? And maybe because I don't believe in timeouts for children, but I do think a timeout can be very valuable for us parents. I think as adults, we can find it very helpful. And the reason I don't believe in it for parents is because young children aren't capable of self-regulation and timeout calls on them to sit there, think about what you did, calm yourself down and then come and make repair. But you know what? Five, ten minutes as a parent when you're feeling activated and distressed, it may not get us back to baseline, but it will take us down enough where I can say, OK, I'm going to set the heat of this situation. And that's the key. When we have our children distressed, activated, acting out, whatever it looks and sounds like in any of our houses, think of ourselves as the thermostat in the relationship rather than the thermometer. And that timeout gives you a chance it really to does. regulate yourself. Because otherwise the thermometer will go in and go, ooh, it's hot in here and match the temperature. But a thermostat says, ooh, it's hot in here. I need mm. to bring this down a couple of degrees. And I'm in a place within my own regulation where I can set the heat of this situation. So that's really what we're looking at in how do we experience the distress of our child? And you talk about the A and E taking that approach. When in doubt, go to A&E. And I don't mean, hopefully, accident and emergency. I mean acceptance and empathy. And readers of the column with IE Parenting will be familiar with me using that phrase. And really, I like phrases that help us to ground ourselves in the moment. You know what? I need to go to A&E. I need to accept that something has upset my child, that they are distressed by it. And I can empathize with, oh, that's really hard for you. As opposed to staying in a place where I go, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong. You're overreacting. Calm down. Don't be silly. And I'm only responding to the overt behavior in that latter tone. Whereas if I go to A&E and I go, I accept you're having a difficulty. I empathize with that difficulty you're having. I'm in a different frame of mind when I seek to engage with you. I'm looking for what is the emotional and physical state that is underpinning your behavior. You're acting out. Are you hungry? 
thirsty, tired, unwell, go to the physical state. Might you be just done because I've had you out and about? Is it too hot out here? You know, what is going on? What is the emotional and physical state? If I can respond to that at that level, then it's going to be a more connected response. And I will get through that distress much quicker. And your child equally will take the tone from you and respond in a similar manner. Exactly that. Well, they're always taking their cues from us, aren't they? Their behavioural cues, their social emotional cues. They're taking their lead from us. No pressure on us, right? Of course, you know, Uh, we're people too. We're allowed to be upset. It's about understanding the misunderstandings in those moments. So it's and we will get that wrong. It's important to say that, by the way, I will definitely snap or lose it or say the wrong thing. But if I can quite quickly recover and say, oh, I know what happened. I can make repair with my child quickly. Oh, my feelings got really big and loud and I snapped at you and I'm sorry. I think you're having a hard time because of and let's do something different. I can go back there. And you're also educating your child then about how to deal with their emotional responses. Exactly that. Because then when they have a falling out or a little rupture with their friend or with us or they behave in a way that they know, well, that wasn't my finest moment, they can come back to us and say, my feelings got big and I'm sorry and I want to try it again. That's a really important. I mean, some of us spend our whole lives trying to develop that capacity. If we can gift that to our children when they're young, Mm. that's immense. Now let's go on to the um, the sensitive child. Mm. So we talk about embracing the child, not to judge that child. Exactly. To support them. Because there is a difference, because even in within the same family. And if you're parenting a sensitive child, you don't even need to pause and wonder right now. You know you're parenting a sensitive child. But in your family, you might have one that seems to be Teflon coated and you could say what you like and it slides off them. And another one that takes everything deep into their heart. So As parents, we are often having to parent in different ways to our children at the same time. And that's very difficult. But with sensitive children, when they're distressed, they feel it differently and how they need us to respond is at their level. A sensitive child takes things. If you think of it like a sponge, okay, and you have a sponge that will absorb and absorb and absorb until you know what? It can't absorb anymore. It needs somebody to pick it up wring it out so that it can go on absorbing again. Sensitivity can be like that. I think often it got a bad reputation, actually, in society. You know, it was seen as something of, you know, don't be so sensitive. You know what your problem is? You're too sensitive. Actually, if it's understood, it can be a superpower. You know, I often think that if we had more sensitive people in the right roles, we'd all be living very, very differently. But it's very difficult to be a sensitive child because you don't yet have that developmental capacity to filter through what's your stuff, what's somebody else's. You don't have the emotional fluency to articulate, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed and perturbed by everything going on around me right now. You have behavior as your expression. And a sensitive child can overtly express that in a, you know, shouting, roaring way, but they can and, you know, maybe even more often internalize it and they shut down with it. So we have to be attuned to them. We have to go, "Mm, I'm curious about what's going on for you right now. We might have to ask those wondering questions. I wonder what the story you're telling yourself about what just happened or what we saw or what we heard on the radio what's happening for you right now and where is it happening? So we want to take it, like you said, embrace the sensitivity. We don't judge it. We don't seek to minimize or dismiss it, but we are always seeking to better understand it so we can gift that understanding back to our children. And the labels really don't do much like the drama queen, drama king. 
that that way of looking at it really distance you from the child. Absolutely. And no matter how sensitive your child is or is not, by the way, we don't want them thinking I'm the sensitive child in our family. I'm the anxious child. I'm the fearful child. I'm the emotional child. We don't want them saying that. Instead, we want them understanding I am a person who is sometimes anxious. I am a person who is sometimes fearful. And we want them understanding that they are made up of a myriad of emotional states and parts and having the language. I often use actually the parts language. You know, oh, that's your worried part right now. I'm hearing your scared part and I'm wondering where your happy part is. What is it that we do to get back to that happy part? We dance, we sing, we get outside, we, you know, go for a walk together. You might have three or four things. How about we try those now and see if we can get back to your happy part? Because it's teaching our children that they are made up of lots of feelings and they are capable of moving from one feeling state to another. And it's also a playful way to do that. It's speaking to them about complex things, let's be honest, but in very accessible, playful language. I love when you talk about difficult moments and you say if the child doesn't have the language to, ex- mm. to express what's going on, you talk about that uh-oh feeling. Yeah, I think anxiety is a big word. It's a clinical word. And, you know, for children, it's like, is that your anxiety? I mean, what are you talking? It's too abstract. I think for children, they know when you have that uh-oh feeling. I think as grown-ups, we know it too, don't we? You know, And when you have an uh-oh feeling, what do you do? You hit your pause button. You check in around you. What's happening? Who could help me with this? What do I need to do next? And you give them that piece that they can express it. I like to do it often in terms of a shape, color and size, you know, because it's hard to talk about feelings. So what color would this feeling be? And what shape would it be? And would it be heavy? Would it be light? Are the edges smooth? Are they rough? Where does it live in your body? How much space is it taking up? Oh, okay. So the next time you feel a big orange circle swelling up in your belly, you come find me and I'm able to help you with that feeling. It's a better way to understand it. And a way of communicating it as well. And that's what we're always aiming for Mm. because we're talking about play fueling connection. So communication is key with that. And I I think then it can lead us on to, well, if that can happen and you already have your parts language and I'm able to express when it's a big orange circle or a bright red square or whatever it might be, then you could actually take it to a nice little activity where you get an art roll of paper would be fine. But equally, you can use, you know, wallpaper lining from a hardware store, lay it out, have your child lie on it. So you're cutting a piece their length with a you know, a marker, a Sharpie, whatever you have, trace around the outline of their body and have a choice of colors and say, you know, what what feeling would red be or blue or, or you know, whatever it is, a range of colors. And don't judge it if you think, you know, oh, isn't red an angry feeling? But they say it's joy. Go with them. It's their color scheme. And then you give them one color at a time. And you say color in your body on this map that is their shape and size where that feeling lives. And they might and you know, more than one feeling can live in one place. That's helpful on lots of levels, because if you have a child that locates a lot of their emotions in their tummy, that might alert you that when they've got tummy aches or upset tummy, there could be an emotional reason going on. There could also be a physical one, but, you know, there, 
they might be storing something there up in their head. Where do their feelings live in their body? And you can invite them to tell you a story. Tell me a time when you felt that feeling because now you're taking an emotion and you're interweaving it with a relational episode, a time when. So we're doing all of that thinking and linking so that how we think and how we feel, we can move fluidly between those two. And the children learn to make that connection as well themselves. And I love the idea of doing this body map with a child on the ground and they're having great fun as well. So they're exploring all these complex emotions while having a game. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be so intense. We can Mm. make it that is. And you can do this many times. It's important to say because our feeling states will change, you know. Um, So you might do it. I would like to hang it somewhere that it's not in their face all the time, but they can visit their internal feelings when they want to. I think the inside of a wardrobe door is a good place to put it because it can be closed and invisible, but I can open it to see it. You might want to do this every couple of months, every few months with them and see, well, where are things at now? Then we go from the child who's very sensitive and then the child who's self-holding, which is a different way of actually. It really is. You know, this idea of a self-holding child has its roots in, you know, Donald Winnicott was a famous uh, British psychoanalyst and he often spoke about self-holding as a concept. And with children, we're really talking about children who try to deal with difficult feelings on their own rather than reaching out to somebody to help them with it. What I often find with these children that perhaps they have always, you know, operated in this way and there's no psychopathology or reason behind that. Or perhaps there is a story behind it. Perhaps when they reached out time and again, there wasn't anybody there to give them that help. So they stopped reaching. They stopped expecting help. Okay, it's not absolutely that because sometimes children just, you know what? I like to do it myself. Internal processors. I am strong, independent, internally processing things, all of that. They tend to be described as the grin and bear it children. And I think that's something, you know, watch our language that we don't casualize that because children who don't naturally reach out, it's more than just being, you know, a grin and bear it child. Sometimes it doesn't even occur to me that I could reach out and I might need help in understanding how to express emotions and how other people can help or co-regulate, back to that word again, can help me to sort through this. Because by the time a self-holding child brings you their problem, their worry, whatever has happened, you do need to act straight away because they've been holding it. They've been percolating on this, ruminating on it. They've probably tried a number of things to work it through and it hasn't worked. Now they're bringing in the big guns. They're saying, hey, this is bigger than me. Typically, when children bring us our worries, I would avoid that fix or change agenda. I think, you know, let them know you're there as a soundboard. Encourage them to, well, what could you do? I wonder how we'd work this out. So they know they can master tension rousing experiences and don't have to always hand it over to parents. With a self-holding child, it's a little different because you're going, "Okay, if you're coming to me, this is big. Now I do need to act. And that's what I mean. We have to understand that even in the same family, you could have, as you know, a sensitive child, a self-holding child. You could have an emotionally expressive child. You could have a child who's numb to all of that and going, I don't know what you're all on about. I'm fine. And as a parent, we're switching hats. All this. We also have to be aware of our own sensitivity, our own capacities to reach out for help or to be self-holding. I think we can become self-holding, uh, overburdened parents. And we can forget that we need to activate our network 
whoever that is for us so and as, reach out for help and support. So along with looking after your child to look after yourself. I think that's equally important. Equal importance. I really do. And actually, you know, sometimes I think it's more important, Irene, because if we forget to look after ourselves, we won't have the capacity to look after our children. So if we go back to this child then who's the self-holding child, what are the strategies a parent can use when the yeah. child doesn't want to talk about it, but is very upset? Yeah. H- how do you bridge that gap? I like to think about it as giving them ways that they can express it. That isn't about, you know, sit down there and talk about the thing that's very difficult to talk about. You know, That's a really the point of greatest resistance. We don't we don't want to start there. Um, I like to do things that are, you know, we talked about the what color is your feelings, what shape and what size. What I find quite helpful with self-holding children is to do it similar, but a little different to that. I might get um, colored sand. Now, listen, you could get white sand and colored chalk and spend your time coloring it. That's fine. You could go and buy coloured sand, equally fine, and get a jar or a bottle and have them pour in how much of each feeling. So again, you're assigning a feeling to each colour and they pour in this amount of sand that represents each feeling they're holding. To anyone else looking at that, it just looks like a beautiful sand bottle. But to them, it's a story. It's a way of externalizing what they're internally holding. Um, Maybe a bit simpler because many of us parents have those half used uh, jewelry making kits lying around that children get from craft shops is to get like you might need a big plastic needle or some thread and beads. Sort out your beads, assign a feeling to each color, get your child to do that. And they just thread on to the elastic how much of each feeling they're experiencing and they wear it as a bracelet. Now, that for a self-holding child can be very helpful because they can look at it and visually see I'm made up of lots of feeling parts. I'm really big on one feeling at the moment. Or if they're beginning to spiral or worry internally, they can pull that elastic bracelet on their wrist and it will twang onto their hand or skin and bring them back into the now moment as a grounding mechanism. So there's a secondary bane or secondary gain rather to that. OK, and then so you also talk about I love the idea we talk about the touch as well. It's so important to ground a child and that idea of a weather massage, which is oh, so playful. It is so playful. And I think you know, your sensitive child, your self-holding child, your distressed child, whatever way your child manifests any of this, this technique will work. So you they turn their back to you in your own home. You could do this just on your on their skin, but you can equally do it over their jumper if you're out and about or over their T-shirt. And with the tips of your fingers, you're going to drum like raindrops down their back. You're just, I'm, I'm doing this now while I'm talking. <laughs> but, you know, people can feel that drumming down their back. Mm-hmm. Then taking the edges of your two hands, you're going to make a chopping movement, and that's thunder. So you've got rain, you've got thunder, and then you want to do like a grabbing motion as if you were kneading dough, and that's clouds fluffy clouds coming in on their back, moving your hands side to side. You might even lightly blow on the back of their neck. That's wind. And then using the palm of your hand, making large, big sun circles. And you might do a little story. It's raining and here comes the thunder. It's a very cloudy day and lots of wind, more rain. Do a little bit of time there. But you know what? Up comes the sun and it dries up all of the rain, moves those clouds, no more thunder, just nice warming sun and it's it's a beautiful thing to do just before bed it sounds so calming and so grounding at the same time because we're using touch Mm -hmm. and that touch especially with somebody we feel safe and secure and connected with as is the parent-child relationship is so effective at just going 
and giving us that emotional release in a way that words might not be accessible for us. So never, you know, rule out those pieces. And I think it's important to take those pauses in our day and not always see, I must work this out. I must get to the solution. Sometimes we just take, let's take a little bit of air out of this. Let's get to a place where we can manage it. And just being more compassionate in how we approach things. I was going to ask you that, but if you could do one thing, you talk about having a compassionate or a compassion pause. I think this starts with us grown-ups, okay? Okay. I think you can repeat this and should repeat this multiple times throughout the day. It's a very brief pause. It takes one minute or less. Have I brought compassionate thinking and awareness to my brain, my thoughts, my words, what's running around in my head? Have I brought compassionate awareness to my feelings, emotionally, where am I at? Have I brought compassionate awareness to my body? Where am I holding that feeling physically in my body? And if you're saying, you know, I'm feeling quite anxious and my show, I'm aware now that I've paused, that my shoulders are, are stiff. What are you going to do? Take a big starfish stretch, put one, your arms above your head out wide, your legs the same on the bottom and feel yourself pulled and stretched in opposite directions and release. And I think once we master that, we can do it with our children. Hey, hey, you know, what's going on in your head right now? Where are your feelings at? What color are they? What shape? Where are you holding that in your body? Oh, do you know what we need? We need a starfish stretch. And just imagine yourself going stiff like uncooked spaghetti and then relaxing like cooked spaghetti. I think if we can do it, we can give it to our children. And again, it's that contrast between having a big emotion, a difficult emotion and then having fun. Exactly. Because we underestimate the role of fun in all of this. Laughter is one of the best ways we have to release residual tension from our bodies. So any opportunity to play, to have fun, to elicit authentic laughter will also address a lot of the worries we're holding in our body. Dr. Joanna Fortune, child psychotherapist, thank you so much for joining us today. Growing Pains, IE Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices.